I am so thankful for this church, for everyone who does what they do to make every Sunday a success. The feeling of family is not something you can concoct. There's love in this house, and I am thankful for all of you. We've been speaking last week about being grateful. You know, you can't this time of year speak about thankfulness or being grateful without mentioning pilgrims. Check that out, how content they are. Even the cat is content over here on the right. (laughs) But it is said that the pilgrims dug seven times as many graves as they built houses. It is estimated that you take 23,000 breaths in a day. How many of those breaths do we use to praise God. There is never a bad time to be thankful. You could look at the time that those pilgrims were in and say, well, certainly they could have foregone this holiday, this Thanksgiving, these declarations because of what they were going through. Well, that's how life can work in the way that you will always be able to find an excuse to not be thankful if you choose. When something wonderful happens, we have one of two go-tos. The first one would be to immediately give God praise or second, to not even recognize God at all. Last week, I mentioned the fact that one of the things that as parents we tend to do early on is we tend to teach our kids the value of saying thank you. And while I would like to believe that I did that because I'm such a stellar parent, What I really believe in my heart is this, that God's goodness flows to every part of our lives and even in parenting. And I believe that from an early age, God wants us to instill a heart of thanksgiving into our children because he knows that thanks will unlock doors of faith for them later on. That if we can instill a grateful heart early on, then they will see him in everything. Does it seem odd to anyone that we live in a country where we only set aside one day to officially give thanks. One day to give thanks. 364 days to rant about politics and talking about how the Browns are going to win. That's how it can be if you live in Cleveland. There's the debate of tree before Thanksgiving or tree after Thanksgiving. News flash, I had an Easter egg hunt with my kids before church today, and I shot off fireworks. And I live in Leroy, so I was probably not the only one. (laughs) Until you locate the pause button in life, you're not going to be able to find that thankfulness or that grateful heart that you wish that you had. I'm reminded of a story. Young boy, he gets dropped off at a birthday party. When his mom goes to pick him up, she's in the driveway, he gets in the car. He has in his hand a goodie bag full of treats and all kinds of things from the party. Mom said, how'd it go? And he said, oh, it went great. She said, did you remember to say thank you? And the boy said, well, when we were lining up to put our shoes on before we went out the door, the girl in front of me said thank you to the mom, and the mom said, don't mention it. So I didn't. 
And I feel like in church, there are times that we can almost feel like it's just a given that we're thankful because we're at church. That because we say we're a Christian, all of these things that we should be voicing out are just part and parcel. I want to talk about Jesus' kindness today. I'm going to be speaking out of Luke chapter 17. The Gospel of Luke was written by, well, you guessed it, Luke. And Luke is a physician. How do we know? Well, archaeological evidence has pointed out that this is Luke's signature. Sorry, Richard. But we believe he truly was a physician. And so we have Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And in this... Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling along the border somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. He's on his way there to celebrate Passover, which will be the last Passover that he celebrates. Now, if you look at this, this region between Samaria and Galilee, it's just a bunch of small villages where people would stop along the way to get supplies, maybe grab some food. It was just the kind of place that nobody even really took recognition of. Uh, In my vernacular, it would be like the Love's Truck Stop exits. Like, just you run in the truck stop, you get some pork rinds, you get back in the car. This is kind of what it was like. That word, he was in the midst of things, it also refers to this word midnight. And so what I'm thinking is this, that as we sit here and as you are going through your walk, that there are places that you feel like Jesus would never take notice of when it comes to your life. There are things that you feel like, oh, it's just dark, Jesus wouldn't pay attention, he wouldn't come here, he wouldn't. Well, what if he would? What if he would? What if he's so interested that he doesn't just look at the big time things, but he also looks at the things that we think may be unimportant? I want to talk about the 10 today. As he was going into a village, there were 10 men who had leprosy. They met him and they stood at a distance. Now, leprosy still exists around the world, caused by a bacteria. This is what leprosy was like back then. It was a disease that attacked your skin that would, over time, disfigure you. Because they were lepers, these ten men were social outcasts. The way that it worked is, by law, you would have to leave your family, you would have to leave your job, you would have to go and dwell with people who had the same condition that you were. They were quarantined together, they were not allowed to have contact with other people. When they went down the street, they had to scream, unclean, unclean. I'd even read some places that they would have a bell sometimes that they would put around their neck. So imagine that. That being your life. So wherever you go, people could hear. And they would know, oh, here comes the outcast. Here he comes. Here he comes. They lived in isolation. They lived in shame. They lived in a constant state of saying, I am not worthy. 150 feet was the distance you had to keep from people on a windy day because you stunk, because they didn't want to have you around. You had to stay out of the way, both physically and in a spiritual sense. You can imagine how isolating their life was. You aren't welcome here. You stay with your crew. You are a them. You're not us. You're a them. Find your broken counterparts. Stay out of sight. It said they stood afar off. That's how they'd been conditioned to live. 
Imagine this. Imagine living with a voice that's always hoarse from you declaring that you're unworthy. Let me repeat that. Imagine living with a spiritual voice that is hoarse from you declaring how unworthy you are on a regular basis. They'd been conditioned that no one wanted them around. They stood afar off, and the meaning of that word is to establish. Here I am so broken that I might as well just put roots down and make the best of it. It's a terrible situation, but I'm going to make the best of it, and I'm just going to stay right here. I know my place. It would almost be like a few years ago, the H-Jacks man, and I love this guy. You'd see him at the corners. You know, he had his sign. Spiritually, some of us walk around with this sign that just says unworthy. Our countenance just says unworthy. I know I'm broken. Stay back. Stay back. I, I wouldn't want this unworthiness to affect you. Stay back. God has the power to take those things that the world sees as shame and use it as a precursor to freedom. The God that I serve can take things and he can turn them into liberty. Things that you think were the chain, he's going to turn into liberty. You haven't been relegated to a place. You have been positioned for blessing. The time outside of those gates, do you know what it's done? It gave them opportunity to see him first. And so where you may be sitting there thinking, I can't believe I'm out here on the outside. God has a plan. God has seen you. God has not left you. You've been sitting there. You've been hearing all the noise that's been going on on the other side of the wall. And you think to yourself, it sure sounds great. Their life must be perfect over there. See, when Jesus shows up, the formality dies. You go from ranking green pastures to following the good shepherd, and he leads the way. When we were doing our life group, we'd have young adults come to our house, and Dina, she would start that day, she would start cleaning. I mean, it's almost like in the military when they scrub things with toothbrush. Dina's cleaning. And I said to her, you know these are young adults, right? <laughs> like when I was a young adult, I had like three half bowls of cereal and open bags of Cheetos in my room. I was just a mess. And I said to her, maybe they just want to come hang out and hear what's real. Because see, when what's real is there, it doesn't require a pre-cleaning. And when it comes to Jesus, we spend time, like I swear, this is something, and Dina's not here so I can say it, but like she will, if we were having someone come over to clean the house, she would clean it before they come over to clean it. Spiritually, we can do the same thing. And maybe Jesus is like, hey, I know there's going to be dirty socks in the floor. Oh, I know it's going to be gross. You got two kids. Oh, I know how this can be. Maybe you just need to put it in his hands and understand that he'll take care of the cleaning. Jesus can walk into the wreckage as easily as he can walk to the right hand of the Father. He's not going to hurt his feet on the mess, and so don't be worrying about that. In verse 13, it says, And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They lifted up their voices. The meaning of that word when you read into it is to lift the anchor and sail away. There comes a time when you're going to have to stand up and say enough is enough. 
There's a time where you're going to have to say, I'm not going to look and say how long I've stayed here. I'm not going to worry about how deep I put roots down in the mess, in the discomfort, in the dysfunction, but I'm going to get up. And so they pull the anchor up. They put the sails up and say, it is time to move from this place. They yell out, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. That word master, when you look at it, it means commander. And you know what I can't help but think? Crazy as I'm studying what comes on. One of my favorite movies, Dead Poets. And there's a point in Dead Poets Society when all these boys who have been formalized in this school, that they come to a point when the guy who has kind of shaken them up inside and said there's more, that he's getting fired. And you know what's crazy is one of these kids, they're sitting at their desk, and he gets up on his desk. He's like, oh, captain, my captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Now, you may think, yeah, that's a Walt Whitman poem that's about Abraham Lincoln from like 1865. Well, yeah, it is. But there's a formality that has happened where we begin to think, stay in your seat, look ahead. When the world will say to you, don't cry out to Jesus. And during this, when those boys are on the desk, there's this school teacher. And he's like, you get down from there. I'm not going to tell you again. I'm not going to tell you again. Get down from there. And there is someone that you're sitting and you're looking forward. And you're thinking, what is Jesus looking to do in my life? And he's saying, get up. Get up and cry out to me. Get up and cry out to me. And when you do, others will be influenced to do the same thing. And I don't care what noise goes on around you and who tells you to get down. That is not my voice. So when they say, Jesus, have mercy on me, what's wild is this. We get in this idea of have mercy. It's not this Uncle Jesse full house kind of have mercy thing that he's saying. Oh, no. It's not just make it better, Jesus. Make me a little bit less miserable, The true meaning of that is to show mercy as God defines it. There is a God plan and there is a measure of mercy that matches the present situation that you are in. God is not absent in this moment. And his mercy, his covenant is unchanged. It's the compassionate treatment of someone in distress when you have the power to make a difference. That mercy that has been poured out on us was not meant to stay in these 16 or however many angled walls we got. It is meant to go out into the world. Mercy, when you look at one of the meanings, it says price paid. In other words, where they're crying out, you know what they're saying? Jesus, master, commander, please remind me what price paid really means in this circumstance. Everyone who saw me out here on the other side of the wall for so long, oh, the majority of those people, they may be okay if I stayed on the outside of the wall. But I need to experience mercy right here and right now. It is said that mercy is the fruit of compassion. Mercy, when it comes to Jesus, is a mission that always goes behind enemy lines to set captives free. It is time to pull up the anchor. It is time to put up the sail. It's time for you in your soul to raise your hallelujah, to say, oh, captain, my captain, to stand on that desk like never before. Maybe the outpouring of mercy, just maybe it is meant to stretch your faith in a time when you thought it couldn't stretch. Maybe you've gotten used to how you think faith feels. 
it says they lifted up their voices and said. Notice, it doesn't say with all the religious formality that they could muster, they approached Jesus in the most boring, formal way that you can think of and gave their request. It says that they went up and they lifted their voices. It's time to shake some dead religion off. It's time to get to the real. It's time to not worry because, see, the Jesus that I serve, he hung with a crowd that I don't think that formality was a problem. They said it. They spoke it. When those words came out of their mouth, Jesus heard it. If it applies there, it applies around the water cooler. I'm just going to be straight in saying that we can't shout Jesus on Sunday and whisper Brandon the other six days of the week and it not affect us spiritually. I'm just shooting straight here. Because what comes out of this mouth is a prayer. What comes out of this mouth is lifted up to Jesus Christ. I think when it comes to this story, it's interesting that they start shouting out when they see him. That's him, that's him, that's him. Can't you just see him with each other? Here we are, this miserable lot, and here comes Jesus. The scripture doesn't say that immediately Jesus walks up to them and he heals them. He says something or he does something that heals them. It says in verse 14 that he says, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, can you imagine these 10 men with each other and they are looking at each other and they're, hey, is this some kind of sick joke? I've heard how this guy can heal. I've heard about the things that he's done. I've been around long enough to know that the way this goes down is that he does something awesome and then we go tell people about it. Imagine how it shakes your faith. So what Jesus is doing right now, he's saying, go show yourself to the priest. And they're thinking, but I don't feel healed. But people aren't looking at me like I'm healed. I still got the bells around my neck. It's time to stop defining the miraculous that Jesus Christ wants to do in your life by other people's opinion of how it should fall. It says in Ephesians 4.24, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There is a point where in faith you need to put on the new man when you aren't feeling the new man yet. There comes a point when you need to shake it off and you need to say, well, I haven't put that on because I'm scared to put it on and take a walk. Put it on and take the victory lap. Put it on and go do what Jesus has told you to do. This isn't some kind of cosmic game of Simon Says, where God's just going to try to catch you, where he wants you to be the one touching your nose when no one else is. It's not that. Obedience isn't a trap. It's a requirement. I need to say this to somebody in the church. You need to stop living your walk as if it's all on you because you need to put it in Jesus Christ's hands. There are things that I can do. Like I get up in the morning and I'm tired. I can work the Keurig. When it comes to healing cancer, I cannot do that. I put it in Jesus' hands. There are things that you need to understand. He's empowered you to do, and there's things you need to understand. You've got to put completely in his hands. 
Back then there were physicians, but as the law went, it was the priests who would confirm when a change had happened when it came to leprosy. There is the law and there is grace. What's wild is those same priests who would confirm the miracle that took place were the same priests who knew that those lepers were dwelling outside the walls. They're the same people who would sidestep when they would hear unclean or when they would hear the bells coming down the street. They dealt in, I believe after I receive. Now here, Jesus didn't turn to Luke and be like, Luke, doctors are ignorant. I believe what Jesus was trying to do was say this. The time has come for the people of God to step up in testimony in God's house of things that have not yet been confirmed by anyone else and to say it with all certainty that Jesus Christ can do it. That Jesus Christ can do it. Because I believe that when it comes to it, we think we've got some angle sometimes on us saying when Jesus does a miracle. I'll tell you what, if I was covered in leprosy and I walked away and looked down and I didn't have leprosy anymore, I don't think I would need Alan to tell me that I don't have leprosy. And I don't think he would want me to run to him and ask him, do I still have leprosy? He'd be like, what's wrong with you? Start walking in testimony. Start tracking that testimony into the house of God because there's someone who's been sitting back and their faith has been growing moss because they think they've seen it all. They think they've been through it all. You know what? It's time to shake that moss off. It's time to get in a place where you start seeing things that you in your 10 years in church mind thinks, I don't even know what's going on there. That's the God that I serve. It's time to start to rattle the cages of the things that we have built. It's time to add a couple more pages to our little journal of what Jesus can do file because he's about to drop some things. It's time to bury dead religion. Bury it. Bury it. No take backs. Step out as the new man even when you're wondering what's going on. I love this because most people would say, well, Jesus would there. He was there. If I was there, I would just go and cling to Jesus. Jesus said, turn around, start walking. Turn around, start walking. It says in verses 15 through 19, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice, he glorified God. He fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten who were cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this one who was a foreigner? And Jesus said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. To bust it down into a little math problem here. There were 10 people there and 90% of the people did not return to give Jesus thanks. One person out of all these, he turned around. One was a Samaritan. Nine were in the know. Nine were people that they had heard about this Jesus all the time, that they knew what was going on. I mean, they were going to walk right to that high priest. They knew. I challenge you today at the point that you think you are in the know, that you are comfortable in your faith, you need to shake it up. You need to shake it up. 
Have you ever noticed sometimes that people within the church can establish themselves as those that are in the know? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to bristle when what I feel like is a non-church person walks in. If this place is what we say it is, then God will send the broken. He will send those that within hearing the first stanza don't run down to an altar. It may take relationship. It may take time. It may take them hearing us saying the things we say and living the things that we live so that the doubt leaves their minds, so that they say everything that I thought about church, you know what? That place turned it on its head. It is time to shake it. It says in verse 14, and so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Now, all 10 were healed. Healing occurred on the path to testimony for these men. Only one came back to fall at Jesus' feet. Only one rejoiced in gratefulness. Gratefulness buried in silence is ungratefulness. It is time to start speaking it out, to start shouting it out. Only one would shout glory. You may have spent your whole life walking around saying unclean. Now it's time to say glory. You may have spent your whole life walking around thinking I'm on the outside of the wall and it's time that you're about to get an all-access pass in Jesus Christ. To this point, your problem may have defined your shout. How about we start praising for things that we have yet to see? With all certainty. I'm going to close. Jesus said this. He said, go and show yourself to the priest. This is what's wild about this. He didn't say and. Jesus didn't place any big stipulation on this healing. It doesn't say in God's word that when the one returned and gave glory to Jesus, that Jesus revoked the healing from the other nine. But it goes into something that's worth digging into. There is a measure of mercy which can cover the things that we live in, things that we endure. There is a road and a path to healing, and I believe it with all my heart. There is a deeper level, though, when we express gratefulness to Jesus Christ for the things that he's done. You may be tempted in the things that Jesus has done for you to walk with the crowd because you didn't hear an and, because you are doing things by the book, you think. But there is a deeper level for those who are truly grateful that you will break away from the crowd, that you will begin to cover the ground with praise, and you will go back to Jesus Christ and you will say, I thank you sincerely for what you've done in my life. When that former leper did that, a deeper healing took place because Jesus said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. So up to that point, people would look at it and be like, oh, the problem is the guy had leprosy. Do you really think that Jesus is so shallow that he doesn't look to the heart? Maybe 
This whole idea of clean, unclean, and all the things that you have been to has left a broken heart. And at the point when you start giving praise and gratefulness to Jesus Christ, you're going to feel that heart start to come together. You're going to find the wholeness that you have been searching for. You are going to be in a place with him that others may never go. 90% of the people may never do it. Be the one. I don't want to stop it better. I don't want any of you to stop it better. I want wholeness. I want wholeness. Because the Jesus Christ that I serve would want nothing less for us. If you'll stand. We're going to pray. After we do, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to hand it to the worship team. Bow your heads. Father, in this moment, I pray that you would just allow your word to get into our heart. Let us just chew on it, God. I pray that you would light a fire so that we would be the one. I pray that it wouldn't be about what you can do for us or give us, but it would be about the glory that is due your name. Go before these people this week. I pray, God, your peace at every table where there may be tension. I pray, Father, that this week would be a time of healing. It would be a time to share what you have done. And God, I pray that the unsaved would see you in a different light. This is yours, God. Let's roll. In Jesus' name, amen.